Well, here's the summary. It's a king who gave himself to everything to make life better. That's what the reading was all about. A king who came, gave himself to everything to make life better. There's the summary headline. And yet, what's the summary conclusion? Here it is, and we heard last week. The summary is hevel. That's the word, H-E-V-E-L. Something that cannot be grasped. That's life. It cannot be grasped. Remember that great illustration from Simon last week with the bubbles? Fell quite flat because he couldn't open the bubble container. But the point is, like chasing after those very pretty bubbles and you grasp them and you cannot grab them and take them. That's life. It's a vapour. Look, 1 verse 12. I, the teacher was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. There's the news this afternoon. There is no gain that you can make in life. No strategy to make your life better. There is no way to win. And don't we hate that news? It's maybe irritated you as I said it. In the most technologically advanced age we find ourselves in, at a time when the world's self-help books in managing finance, in managing time, in managing plans. They're at an all-time high. And yet, the author of Ecclesiastes, the king, Solomon, he says there is no gain you can make, no strategy to make life better, no way to win. Surely he's wrong. Surely we have now got what it takes to fix life, haven't we? Surely the power lies within to make the changes. I absolutely can make life good for me, surely. No. And by the way, it's not me telling you that it's a big, fat no. It's a king who tried to do life and make life better, but failed. If anyone can do life, and be satisfied. Surely it's a king. He's not just a king. He's the wisest and the wealthiest king. A king who has everything at his fingertips. Fame, fortune, power, presence, time, travel. So this is gold for us in this wonderful book, Ecclesiastes. Because it's the king's failure. It's the king's failure that was the best thing that ever happened to him. This failure was the secret to really understanding life and what he needed. And you see, today, if this king cannot fix life with everything at his fingertips, nor can you. Verse 15, chapter 1, what is crooked 
cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. See, I cannot change anything, says the king. Verse 16, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I apply myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. He says that's life. That is life. And it reminded me of a kid's game that we used to play. Can you guess it? Can you guess the game? No, surely the noise. Surely the noise helps. Game of life. You remember it? No. Oh, please. Reader, you played the game of life. It's not great, is it? It's not great, and that's, that's quite good because it's the spinning dice. Great that there are ten numbers, by the way. One to ten, not one to six. But the spinning dice dictates the plan for your life. So it goes something like this. There's the old version. It's the version I had. A university education. Let's celebrate your first job at the bank. Your first house. Wedding bells. Your first child. Boy or girl. You choose. Child number two. Move to a bigger house. Child number three. Oh wait. Twins. A six-month tour of America. Your first grandchild. Retirement. Buy a yacht. Funeral expenses. That's the game. I mean, there's a little bit more to it than that, of course. But not much more. Spin and see what life holds for you. And see what chapter 2 is all about. It unpacks the king's game of life. Chapter 2 is all about the game of life. Three sections. The headings will be on the board. Help break it down for us because there's a long reading. There's a lot to work through. Verses 1 to 10 is the pursuit of happiness like the game of life. Spin and see if you can make life happy. Look at verses 1 through to 6. I said to myself, come now. I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Look what he puts his life to. Laughter, to merriment, to wine. Let's continue, to good food, to football, to fun, to freedom. But you see, none of those things fix the problem. Look at verse 4. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Some guy, what a guy. Well, he's king. It's the point of Ecclesiastes. It's the point for me to get. This man didn't just have an extension six feet out into the back garden. He had houses and vineyards. And he had gardens and parks and reservoirs. Cars, lovely green lawns. 
plenty of loft conversions. New kitchens, I'm sure. And yet, look what it does for life. Pleasures, projects. Look at verse 7, people. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. See? Pleasures, projects, and now people. He bought people to please him. Those he did anything that he wanted them to do. They would operate at his beck and call. He got a band together, regular entertainment. I'm sure he got the theatre over, a Vita, first hand. Look, he pursued sex, a harem. The word there is many. Many. Let's continue. A beer with the lads. A meal out with friends. A bank holiday, Monday. Holidays. Verse 10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labour. And this was the reward for all my toil. Doesn't this sound all too familiar today? The world screams at us through subtle advertising and blatant messaging. These things will bring you happiness. Keep pursuing them. Happiness will come. Hold nothing back in your pursuit to get the good life. And yet, look verse 11, verse 16, verse 11 through to verse 16. The first heading is a pursuit for happiness. Look at the second heading, a failure to find it. Verse 11, yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And his quest to find happiness had failed. Do you see that? Surely you see that. Surely I get that from Ecclesiastes. He's got the most unbelievable bucket list. He's attended the best parties. He's experienced the most thrilling experiences. He's got the most unbelievable resume of project work. He's got it. He's had it. He'd learned much. It experienced greatly. For in the world's eyes, everyone's shouting at this man, success, success, success. I want a bit of what he's got. But he knew he had not succeeded. Why? Because those things never fixed life's greatest issue. 
You see from verse 13, those things never fix life's greatest issue. Verse 13, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. And the wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless. Verse 16, for the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too must die. He knew that all of those things did not fix life's greatest issue. Life's greatest problem. Wisdom better than folly. Just as light is better than darkness. Yes, yes, yes. All of those things, good things. God-given things. And yet, like the fool, the wise must die also. You see, death is the deadly assassin. I was reminded all too readily on Friday, the funeral uh, of a good friend. Here he is, Howard Willis. A good, good man, Howie Willis. The service went on. There was testament after testament of his life. A good man. Yet the fate of the fool is the same fate of the wise. Death comes to war. All of these things that the king pursued could not fix life's greatest problem. Braveheart. He probably summed it up pretty well, William Wallace, in the film. Not in real life, I'm sure. It says, death comes to all men. All men die, but not all men really live. All men die. Isn't he true? Isn't that true? All of us die. And see what the king found out. It's the great reminder for us today. Pleasures. Work projects. People, the relationships that we're in, they were never designed to fix the problem. Never. Did you hear Simon last week? The problem of Genesis 3. His third point, life, dot, dot, dot. We all return to the ground. That was Solomon's conclusions at the end of last week. And it's the same again this week. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? This should hit us pretty hard. A king who has everything. He cannot find the solution to the greatest need for man. What more is there? See point one, the pursuit of happiness. See point two, the failure to find it. Let's wrap this up. Point three, humbled to see it. Look, the king is brought low. It's as low as he can go when he comes to his fitting conclusion. Come with me, verse 17. So I hated life. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. 
all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge and skill. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless. And it's a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving for which they labor under the sun? Verse 23, all their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Oh, it's grim, isn't it? Isn't it depressing? I hated life. It was grievous to me meaningless to me my heart began to despair a great misfortune grief and pain pick out some of those words from that text it's as low as he can go why because nothing has worked nothing has worked for the king and do you know what today you might need to be told that that nothing you can do Nothing that you can seek after will bring you happiness. Nothing by your own means. You might need to be told that today. Nothing will bring you the happiness needed to rest knowing you have fixed life's greatest issue. A king with everything couldn't do it. And yet you might be sitting there thinking, I kind of know all this. And I think I've got the answer. Isn't that great? Because it is great. You heard Liv say it. I became a Christian. I I understood what life was. I put my trust in the Lord Jesus. Isn't that great as a Christian? Don't you sit there and go, I've got the answer. Isn't life great? Well, perhaps it isn't all that great. And you kind of know it should be, but do you know what? Life is grim sometimes. It's really tough. Why so often the greatest news in the world, it should be the peace that makes sense of all of life and yet so often isn't as a Christian? Why is that? Look at verse 24 and there's a shift in King Solomon's thinking. Here for the first time we get God at the centre. Look, verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? You see, there's some kind of shift here. There's a realisation. And King Solomon says, do you know, everything now I receive, everything that I've acquired, it's a gift from God. It's God's 
common goodness and grace to me. And you see, the king was trying to use the pleasures, the gifts from God to please himself. He was trying to use the projects to build for himself. He was trying to use the people to save himself. Wine as a fixer, the new build to lift him, the relationships to give him identity. And can't that be true of us? All the time, it's true for me. Football, the saviour. Today of all days, last day of the Premier League. Do you know it won't fix life? If only I could get a new car, a new house, more space. All would be well then. No, it won't be. Oh, that new job. When I get that new job, then I'm sorted. Uh Uh-uh. If only I could find the right man, the right partner. No? A child? I'd love a child. Then the world would be complete. No. See, we all long for a better life, don't we? Do we long for a better life? Yes, we long for a better life. You're right to. You're right to long for a better life. But the Bible's so clear. The better life only comes when Jesus returns. The better life only comes when Jesus returns. And if you think that those things will bring happiness, of course they will, but bring happiness to solve life's problems, they really won't. They can't. Verse 24 again, do you know verse 24? It literally reads, There is no good in man that he eat and drink and sees his own soul as good. There is no good in man. The king is brought to a point, the lowest point, he cannot go lower. He cannot fix life. The things that he went after, the things that he sought after, They can't fix life. Only God can fix life. Only God can fix life. Verse 26, let's finish. To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Do you see this? Come with me here. When I see that only God can fix life, because God is the giver of life, life makes sense. When I see God for who he is, and I give him thanks, a miracle occurs. This miracle happens. Because the things that I used to fix me in the past... They become good gifts from God. The things that they were meant to be. Not life fixers. Good gifts from God. So football. It just remains as football. Good. But it does not save. And holidays. Do you know what? They're just holidays. Not to fix life. They're to be enjoyed. But not to fix things. And extensions on the house... 
They're just extensions. Not there to fix life. And a job, do you know, is just a job. A good thing. And a partner is a partner, a good gift from God. Here is a king. He's a wise king. But he could not fix life. And he realized that every good gift that he experienced was simply a gift from God to be treated as a gift from God, yet not to fix life. Because the Bible is all about a king. He was a wise king. He was a humble king. And he came to fix life. Here's the choice. It's the choice for me today to recognize the king, the true king, to recognize that I've sinned before him, to recognize that I I try to fix the mess of Genesis chapter 3 that we heard of last week. I, I try and fix the mess so very often by myself, by the things that I go after. I get the gifts and I try and get them to fix life. And the curse of Genesis 3, which is death. Maybe today for the first time you need to acknowledge that you cannot fix life. And the things that you go after to give you happiness cannot fix life. And do you know what? Today, as a Christian for uh, over 16 years, I need to daily repent of the things that I try and pursue and put in place to fix life instead of the king. I need to do that frequently. Do you? What is it that you're pursuing? Pursuing and you might not even know it. But you're pursuing and you think when that happens or when I get that, that will be a life fixer. King Solomon says it won't. He's tried everything, everything under the sun. He says it's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. But, but there's a shift. Verses 24 to 26. He recognises God. Those things he sought after cannot fix him. But a king is coming. He came to fix life. A wise and humble king. Would you turn to him today? Would you say sorry for the things that you've been going after? And come before him and saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Because nothing else will. I'm going to pray. And we're going to sing that song. Thank you uh, for saving me. It's a personal song. It's a song that... Uh, can be sung if you're a Christian, and a song that I think daily should be sung. Thank you, Lord, for saving me, because daily I need to say sorry for the things that I go after to replace you so very quickly, so very easily. Father, thank you for these words as we've navigated our way through them, as we've seen King Solomon's life and understood that he's a a king who gave himself 
to everything to make life better as we see that. And then I'm certain there's so many places it reflects our heart, it reflects what we seek after. Thank you for the recognition at the end. And thank you that now we can recognize you as the one who came to fix all things and therefore to enjoy every good thing for what it was always meant to be. Thank you for to find joy within it, but not for it to fix life, to rescue us. Lord, help us all to trust in you as our Lord and our Saviour. And thank you that you sent the Lord Jesus to, to save us at great cost to yourself. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.